it's it's just a place to go to unwind and and reconnect i guess and it's kind of a goofy term everybody uses it but even saturday night this this last saturday night when we were sitting up there and my buddy todd is like he goes the older i get the more i need this to unwind that was his exact words you know he said this is the spot where you become relaxed Hey Wildlings, this is Britta Meyerly with Friends of Scotchman Peaks Wilderness here to introduce our latest podcast episode. In early October, I had the opportunity to chat with a couple who spend a lot of time together exploring wilderness areas on horseback. As we talked about how they both became interested in the outdoors as kids, there was a common thread. Louis L'Amour. Find out how Alan and Jessica Harper started their love of wilderness on this episode of Your Wild Place. Hi, my name is Jessica Harper, and we live in Raftrum, Idaho. Mm-hmm. What do you do for a living? Oh, I guess that would be helpful. I, I work for Northwest Farm Credit, and I get to work with our uh, young beginning and small um, producers in a program called Ag Vision. Yep, and I'm Alan Harper, and um, I'm, a, I'm a forester by trade. I, um, I'm now the, the resource manager for Idaho Forest Group and help manage the timber department for the six sawmills that we have throughout Idaho and in Montana. And um, so it seems like having a, a love of the outdoors in the backcountry fits right in with being a forester, that's for sure. And um, I think um, I think one of the cool things when I meet and talk to people, a lot of times people think, well, uh, a forester that works for an industrial company that makes a living making lumber might not be a supporter of areas that are preserved in wilderness or whatever, but it's actually just, it's just not the case. In fact, I think most people that are in, in forestry probably would agree that, you know, we need areas to manage our, our timber resources and we need areas that are just left alone um, for people to go and enjoy. And, uh, I, I'm not sure if I know anybody that would disagree with that, that works in this industry. I'm sure they're out there, but all the people that I work with, certainly um, value areas that are set aside and, and not loaded and they can just get back there and not see people and have a better experience when they're hunting and whatnot. I don't tell anybody where I grew up from. Okay. Because <laughs> yeah. we get like a general people. area? What's that? Do we get a general area? I'm really close to Mexico. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> now you understand why yeah. I don't talk about it, right? <laughs> yeah. And he's like the last person you would think that seems like he's really close to Mexico when he grew up, right? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you fit in well in North Idaho. I, I know. <laughs> I fit right in. <laughs> um, oh, you know, we can, we can talk about it. Like for me, um, you know, I grew up, I guess I would say, in the city, but my parents uh, were very much into vacations, family vacations, and uh, going going places in the tent and in the 
little travel trailer that we had. And uh, I, you know, I can just remember as a little kid, I mean, we, we went everywhere. And I guess back in those days, you know, uh, parents maybe got more time off in the summertime or something like that. But I can remember lots of two and three week long trips where we'd load up, and this is, this is kind of weird, but we'd load up the dog, the cat, and everybody in the four-door Impala and somehow pull a trailer behind it, which just seems crazy in today's world because I wouldn't think about pulling a trailer with anything less than a pickup truck, but, um, and just travel. I mean, we, we, as a kid, I probably, I know I hit every state east of the, or west of the Mississippi and quite a bit down in the south, southern part also. And it was, that's just what we did. We'd go stay in campgrounds and hike and go to lots of the um, national parks and, so it seemed like that was just a normal thing to do for me when I was growing up. And so even though when vacation was over, we were somewhat in the city, although we were in the rural part of town and, uh, you know, within 10 minutes, you could ride your bike into an, uh, an orange grove somewhere and go, go get lost or whatever. It felt like you were out in the middle of nowhere. But, um, you know, if you look back on it, it, it still was definitely a city, although I look at, Kootenai County now, and it's probably more of a city than where I lived when I was a kid, probably. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just how things change. But yeah, I mean, so for, like I say, for me, it was lots of family vacations. And, and then when I got to where I was, you know, in my early teenager years, my, my parents didn't really like to do backpacking too much. We did a little bit of that. I don't think my dad was into hiking with stuff on his back all that much. But um, but when I got a little bit older, you know, not 16, still probably in that 13 to 15 range, um, I had friends whose parents would do that. And so we'd start doing some backpacking and um, get back into the backcountry. And back then, I wouldn't even, could, couldn't tell you what a wilderness was versus just a forest, because to me, they were all the same. It was just a place you went where there wasn't very many people and you saw cool stuff. But um, I guess if I look back at it now, we probably even did some backpacking in, well, yeah, by then it would have been because uh, I was, I would have been old enough to where there would have been wildernesses designated by then. And, um, but in the Eastern Sierras and some of that part of the world, we would, we would go and, and hike into. And, and then when I, when I was 16 and started driving, me and several of my buddies like to do that kind of stuff. And so we, we would just take off and go for a week trip or whatever, or a week and a half trip in the summertime and drive off someplace and throw our backpacks on. And, and it was mostly all done in the Sierra Nevadas on the Eastern side of the Sierra Nevadas is kind of the area that we would go to. And, um, you know, it's funny, I can't imagine very many parents today telling the 16 year olds, yeah, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. And, there was no such thing as cell phones back in those days. And so nobody even know where you're at at all. And so crazy. It is just, it's just so different, you know, where things are today. And I remember one trip, me and my buddy, um, I think it was Richard, I think, but, you know, we got out of the car and hiked up from the Eastern slope and actually worked our way up into Yosemite Valley. So we got up all the way top and 
down in the Yosemite Valley a little bit and looped around and came back out to Highway 395, but we were quite a ways, a long ways north of where our car was at. And like, wow, what are we gonna do? And we hitchhiked back to our car. <laughs> and, and I just, I can't even imagine doing that today, but it was kind of like, yeah, you know, somebody will hopefully pick us up and they did. And otherwise it would have been probably another five days of hiking down the highway to get back to your car probably. <laughs> They wouldn't even think about it. You know, it was kind of like, yeah, we're going to go hiking. And then, oh, wow, we came out and there's nothing here to get in to drive. And, but I think for me, that's obviously where my love of the outdoors and, and um, today that translates into wilderness a lot, um, you know, definitely came from. And as, you know, as I went through college, um, you know, went to forestry school. And so that was all outdoor kind of stuff that we did. And it just never really stopped. It was always associated with when you go on a vacation, even as a kid or all the way up till today, you know, to me, vacations weren't, let's go to Disneyland or let's go to Hawaii or something. Vacation was always, let's go to the mountains or go to the desert. And it was really, it just seemed weird to say, I'm going to take a vacation and go someplace where there's, a gazillion people around you and that that is like a vacation to me it almost seems like torture and um, so you know that's kind of for for my part of this so when i was thinking about alan's stories about when he was little and how cool it must have been to have the ability to go see all those places far away from here places i haven't even seen still today as an adult and i think about how i grew up going on vacations and things like that and and I my dad was always really into like John Wayne and Louis L'Amour and stuff like that and he probably wished he said he would have had boys but he uh, ended up with three girls and so we didn't have a whole lot of money and I think for us it was a combination of a really inexpensive way to get out and do something with the family um, but also a way for him to try to build up our, you know, our self, you know, like confidence and who we were and everything. And so when Alvin was talking about his trips, I was thinking about this, this one time we did a lot of our camping at the time. And this is it's a long time ago, but Cleolum actually has got some pretty cool places down on the, um, the river there and really neat places to go <clears throat> camping. Now it's all, you know, super urban and everything, but there I must have been like, I don't know, maybe eight. And my sisters are twins, a couple years younger than me. And dad was like, okay, we're going to lock arms. We're going to cross this river. And he was trying to get real technical, telling us, you know, where to put your feet in this. And I'm sure if I crossed that river today, it was probably like barely halfway up my shin. But I thought it was <laughs> a raging river and we were going to die. And so we crossed the river and then there was this giant tree that had fallen over. And he said, okay, now I want you to climb back up the tree and cross over the river. You know, and it felt like it was 50 feet down and my mom was scared. And when we got back, we were, you know, talking around the campfire and he was saying, okay, now tell us, you know, how that made you feel. And what did you accomplish and all this stuff. And it just made us girls feel really, you know, we were strong and we could do whatever we set our minds to and all this cheesy stuff now, you know, but I think for me, that was really where it started was I just thought the wilderness is this place to kind of 
test yourself and think about things and nothing's too busy. So we just did a lot of trips like that. My dad was into um, canoeing. So we would, mom would take us down and go pick him and his buddy up when they, you know, got done with their trips. And then they would, again, we'd sit around the campfire and hear their stories about how they flipped the canoe. And one time it came back, it was cracked and all these things that like, man, that's awesome. And uh, we, at that time lived um, in a cul-de-sac, you know, more in town and everything. And dad being the, the lover of Louis L'Amour, I guess a lot of this goes back to him. He just hated living in town. And so he uh, got a promotion at work and bought a farm in central Washington, um, in East Wenatchee. And uh, we saved up and all got horses. And at that time, since dad was making a little bit more money, um, we were able to go on some horseback camping trips. And the first place, my mom was actually the horse person in our family. Thankfully, she really, you know, had handle on what to do with that. So the combination of her being handy with horses and then dad being into camping was awesome. And by that time, I think I was about 14, maybe. And we had old nags, you know, just like freebie horses, super pigeon toed, really not. I mean, they were great horses, but you know, looking back, I think, wow, I can't believe we even rode some of those things. Um, we picked some up at auctions, you know, things that probably would have went to the, like the slaughterhouses and stuff, but they were inexpensive. So we all got outfitted up in super starter stuff. And we, there's a wilderness up there called the Pesaten Wilderness in Washington. That is like this little jewel. It's kind of like the Scotchman's in a way, because it's a smaller wilderness but it's just breathtaking. And um, every time we could, we'd go to the Satan with the horses. And, um, and I thought, man, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna have a really good job so I can afford a nicer horse and better stuff. <laughs> and I'm gonna pack in the wilderness. <clears throat> and uh, thank goodness I finally met Alan many years later, who's got all of the things in a partner for that sort of lifestyle. So here we are today. It's, it's interesting to hear Jessica talk about how her dad liked Louis Moore books. Um, my grandfather read Louis Moore books, just he had stacks of them. And I ended up with most of them and have read them all too. And I know that it, even as a younger kid or even my teens, you know, I just thought, gosh, someday I want to have horses. That's one of those things that it was always someday. You know, you go to college, obviously you can't do it then. And you get out of college, you haven't got any money and you, you uh, can't do that. And, you know, then you finally start working and I always tell myself, when I finally get to that point, I'm going to buy some place that's got property so I can have them. And, uh, you know, growing up in both Southern and Northern, Northeastern California, it was just hard to find places that you could afford that, to have property. So when we moved to Idaho, and that was what I said. I said, when I moved to Idaho, I know you can buy something with some ground. And that's the first thing I did when I moved here was to uh, get a place that you can have animals. And you know, at the time, I think my daughter was probably five or six, something like that, or maybe even less than that. But, you know, and put her in the 4-H program and, and she leased a horse. And it wasn't too many years after that started is, you know, it's a little shit, my daughter's got a bit of riding horses and, and I have always wanted to. So I bought myself one and, and kind of started 
learning how to do all that kind of stuff. And, and you've uh, always been a hunter too. Yeah, you know, always hunted, but always hunted, you know, just hiking. And, you know, it, I mean, I guess you can get away from people, but it's a lot more difficult to get away from people when you're doing it on your back than if you've got animals. And um, you know, so once, once I got to where I was really comfortable riding, I said, all right, this is, this is the time now that I'm going to take hunting to a new, a new level of enjoyment for me and, and start, start doing the backcountry hunts. And, um, you know, so kind of got into that, um, 19, 20 years ago, I met one of my good friends today and, and he was also a horse guy and enjoyed hunting on horseback. And, um, so we kind of hooked up and started doing that and kind of taught each other a lot of that. Cause I mean, Todd had done a little bit, but really didn't have a lot of experience, I think in that also. So we kind of taught each other for the last 18 years, every year we, we take a, a hunting trip someplace on horses. And, um, you know, over the years we've, we've added to where we're, we're pretty comfortable now, you know, we've, we've got, um, good equipment, we've got good animals, so you can go for two weeks and, and be comfortable even if the weather turns bad on you. And, um, you know, it's kind of like you're hunting at the Hilton sometimes, even though you're, you know, 15, 20 miles from the pickup truck where you start your camp at, um, pretty comfortable and, and um, you know, so we really enjoy, enjoy that. Um, and then, I think that led into, you know, well, gosh, you've got all these animals, you want to utilize them more than just two weeks out of the year, like a lot of people do. And um, along came Jessica into my life and um, I was pretty blessed to find her with the fact that she really liked the horses stuff too. And um, that's when we really started taking it to the next level of taking trips, you know, into the backcountry and, picking out someplace different, you know, every year to go see. And, um, you know, most of the time, you know, we try to do one big trip that would be really in a wilderness somewhere. Um, Cause it's just super fun to go visit different places and, and travel in that back country, looking at, at what's there. And, you know, we've, we've done quite a few different places in the West now. And then there's always, those three, four day trips that um, may not give you enough time to get into an official big W, but you can certainly, you know, from here in North Idaho, there are lots of designated wildernesses that you can go take trips into. You know, we've obviously ridden in the Scotchman some, and um, it's a beautiful place. It's, you know, there's a few good trails for horses. Scotchman's also a, probably better for hiking on foot and backpack, but there's some nice spots to, um, to do some horseback riding. Um, we, we really enjoy riding in the Great Burn, um, and we usually access that for the Montana side, but that's, that in fact, we spent, um, Labor Day this year, four days over Labor Day or five days, whatever it was, um, riding, riding there. And that's, that's a spot that we really like because, you know, in three hours from our house, we can be at the trailhead and and get back up into that country. And you know, and it, I think it's it's important to find the wildernesses, and I think it's important for us to continue to work towards 
pushing some of the designated wildernesses into the Big W wilderness, just so that you know it's going to be there forever. I mean, that's, I guess, for me, the, the big concern is just because it's a desert or it's a recommended, uh, you know, it, it has the risk of something else happening at some point down the line. But we, you know, we, we just, we enjoy those type of trips. We, we get into that upper St. Joe country, which is roadless. Um, none of that is uh, recommended wilderness right now that I can think of, but it's all designated roadless country. And, and the same thing, it's, it's, um, it's nice to try to get some of that into more of a permanent designation so that things can't change 50 years from now or whatever, if it happened to. You know, so I think for myself, you know, you look at um, the difference between a wilderness and, and a recommended wilderness, they're pretty similar. And, um, you know, in that you can get away from motorized, which is, that's the important thing for us is wherever we go, we want them to be non-motorized trails. I try not to ride motorized trails very often. It takes away from the solitude and it also just adds a little bit more um, danger, you know, if you come around a, a tight corner and a trail someplace and it's steep drop off and somebody on a motorcycle is, you know, coming the other direction, even being courteous, you know, but that loud noise, some animals can spook from it. It's, you know, where do you go? How does each other pass each other? So for us, for safety purposes, if nothing else, I think we like to find those non-motorized trails. And of course, the wilderness is where you find all non-motorized trails and, and that needs to stay that way. And, and, and I know it's pretty controversial. I mean, there's a lot of mountain bikers that would like to see um, some of the wilderness trails, you know, opened up to mountain biking. But I, I think for people that like to do the equestrian stuff in the backcountry, even mountain bikes pose a, uh, a danger. In fact, in some ways, they might even be more dangerous than a motorcycle because I can hear a motorcycle coming from quite a ways away and be prepared for it. But when the mountain bike comes around the corner and it's silent, there's going to be a collision. And, um, well, and, and he, you know, our, our son, he gets it too. He's really into mountain biking and does a lot around here. And he's one of those, you know, GoPro on the helmet, super fast, like just, and a lot of those guys, you know, they wear earbuds and gals wear earbuds, so they can't really hear and they're just doing their thing. And I mean, even he agrees, you know, it kind of makes sense to everybody has their own area and then there's no worries. They can do what they want to do. We can all, I mean, we like, we like to bring on our, some of our elderly family. I mean, my, my uncle Bob, who's, who's since passed, I mean, he's had several run-ins up on Canfield with mountain bikes that were, you know, just what I described where there was an accident and we, we want a space for everyone, but just it makes it easier when there's some separation there. Yeah, it is. It's just, it's good to, everybody needs to have areas and there needs to be areas that overlap also. Uh, you know, I, I'm not saying that every trail needs to be non-motorized, but I think there does definitely need to be that non-motorized out there for those that, that want the quiet or want the safety and not, not worry about an accident. And, and the accident can go both ways. It may not be I mean, it could be the person on the bike or the motorcycle that gets hurt because they come around a corner and they're like, oh, shoot, and they lay it down and off the trail they go or whatever. So it, it, it can go both ways. And I just think that safety is a pretty important part of that, and, which 
you know, kind of comes back to why we do enjoy taking our big trip usually every summer into a wilderness area somewhere. And um, it, it's, that's just where you get the complete solitude, quiet. You're less likely to see other people. You hear wolves. You hear, yep, you hear wolves. You know, you might get to see a grizzly bear. Um, and it's, it's stuff like that that people don't get to see very often. I, you should tell her the funny story because we we'll keep it funny. He actually, we're going, we're going on a trip next weekend. We're going to be gone for 10 or 12 days. And he packed in a bunch of pellets yesterday with a couple of friends when I was watching the grandkids and tell her about the Krusty's experience. Yeah. So, so we weren't in a wilderness. We were, we were in a, just in a roadless area or on, I guess non-motorized area roadless. We were, um, up above the Salmon River, just outside of Riggins, up six or seven miles up river, and then took a trail up into the high country. So we were we were up at about 7,200 feet this weekend, and neither one of us had really been there. You know, so we had three riding animals and four animals packing gear with us, and like, well, I don't even know where we're going. We just know we're going up here somewhere, but we got to find some place that's got water and flat enough to put a tent. And um, after about eight, nine miles back in, we finally, it was the first water we found, we found a pretty nice creek and it was a flat area. So we thought, well, this will be our camp. So we've got camp all set up. And we thought, well, we got a little bit of time before it gets dark on Saturday. Let's just take a little bit more of a ride. And so we rode, and it turned out we only went like another half a mile or, or so. And we ran across, there's an outfitter that must be outfitting in that area. and. We ran across the outfitter camp. Nobody was there because season doesn't open, you know, for another week and a half. And as we were coming up to the camp, it's a pretty good sized camp. We had a lot of wall tents set up. And the first thing I saw as I come up the trail is a couple of beer cans. I thought, what a bunch of pigs, you know? It just irritates the heck out of you when you're that far in the middle of nowhere. And I mean, I don't care they have beer, but don't leave them on the ground. And then leave no trace. Yeah. Well, then we come around a corner. And if you've ever been to Costco and bought the big giant bag of Krusties, the big blue bag of Krusties pancake mix, there's a big Krusties bag just shredded in pancake mix everywhere. And I thought, well, that's weird. And then we just went a little bit further without, let's ride into their camp to see if he's there. And then it became obvious a bear just destroyed their, their wall tent, their camp. It, I mean, there was peanut butter jars, potato chips, <laughs> jerky you name it. it it looked like it looked like an old dump site that you would find from back in the minor days just just you know no, we, we didn't go in their tent but i peeked around there and you could see that it had kind of tore the flap open and he'd spent some time inside their tent and you know they're going to be pretty disappointed when they come in with some clients and the first thing the clients are going to see is this just absolute dump but they ought to be practicing you know, safe food storage in the backcountry, especially when those, now we're going to go up there and there's yeah, going to so be a bear out. like, hey, what do they got? I'm going yeah. to camp number two. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, our camp, as it turns out, between a quarter and a half mile from there, and it's like, oh, we're going to be, we have everything set up and we're not going back for, you know, a week. And oh, I man. kept my sleeping bag. I was like, you're not taking my sleeping bag. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so we ended up, you know, we didn't have much food with us this trip because we were mostly packing in food for the horses and our tents and stuff like that. But what little food we did have, I've got bear proof boxes that we pack stuff in and 
So we put whatever we did have in the boxes and moved them away from the tent and I tied them to a tree so that if he decided he wanted to roll them around that they'd still be there when we got back. But yeah, so. very full bear ready for hibernation yeah, yeah, pretty he's, soon. He's gonna have a cholesterol problem. I could just see oh, him. Pancakes. No, I wish there would have been a video. Just <laughs> rolling around with a bag and like Oh yeah, I mean it's bear ever. He was just scattered. I mean, I'm sure he thought that peanut butter was just amazing stuff. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. It, uh, now it's got a taste for it. I know. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. And there's a problem is, I mean, he probably will always continue to come back there unless they have to, you know, do something about it. But Well, it reminds me of like when we took a rafting trip down the main fork of the salmon and they were, I mean, on the polar opposite end of outfitter, like they were so classy. I mean, everything was the, like the best meals, fresh fruits and vegetables, three meals a day, you know, toddies at night. And when we left, they pretty much did everything but rake the beach. I mean, there was not a sunflower seed shell left on that beach, you know, and hundreds of people go through there, but you'd never know it. So there's a ton of good outfitters out there. But his, his story when he got home yesterday was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> Obviously on more of the yeah, like, was... rookie level of of it was as bad as I've seen in a camp. I, I don't know if I'd ever seen that before, and I've run across a lot of camps out there, and it's um, pretty pretty crazy, that's for sure. But you know, it's yeah. still it's still the spot we like to go, and and it's fun with us with our with our hunting camp is, you know, we like to go just see different areas. So this is a spot we've never been to before, and you know, hopefully we'll get it figured out and. And get a few elk while we're up there but you know at the end of the day sometimes just spending eight or ten days in the country hiking and whatnot is it's worth it also it, um, it's pretty pretty darn fun there's no question about it you know I mean you can ruin a wilderness with too many people but at the same time I think that we're better off to get as many people in the back country as we can because, to appreciate it because if they appreciate it, it yeah then they're going to be a supporter of of, of that kind of stuff. But, you know, if there's, and you, you've read it and you've heard it, if there's no trails in, then it doesn't exist to a lot of people. You guys were talking about, um, Alan, you're talking about your daughter and how she got into 4-H when she was little and into horses and that kind of got you into horses. And Jessica, it sounds like Austin is into mountain biking, but also goes on pack trips with you. <laughs> what's it, what's it like getting your kids out there and having them kind of experience something that you get to pass down to them, I guess. Yeah. So I think for, for me, when I think about, um, I have uh, Austin's my youngest, he's 18, but then I've got a, um, a daughter who actually I'm a grandma now. And so she, <clears throat> she and Austin and Taylor, the three of them, we took on, on, quite a few trips, obviously. And I mean, those are the best. I remember the kids walking down the trail, standing on the horses, riding backwards, you know, um, throwing pine cones at each other, going down the trail. And I think that because I don't, I don't think any of them take it for granted. I really don't. And even Sydney, when her, her daughter, my granddaughter was here this weekend, I took her out on the horse and she just said, she's never going to want to leave mom. This is like, the best place to be. And I know that they appreciate it because they're 
I mean, they're still typical young people. They've got their phones and all the stuff, but you know, when they come home, when they're here and they go out and they scratch the horses and we talk about our favorite times. Austin was just talking yesterday. He loves to hunt too. So he, he still rides and he was talking about how a couple years ago they were um, up in Hills Canyon uh, in the wilderness there in Solo, a, a mare that we had, she's um, since passed, but she stepped forward into this big sinker hole and they just went like bloop all the way in. And I mean, this is in mid-October, it's cold. And he had all of his clothes on and he was, it was early, early in the morning, like frosty. And Alan's like, ready? And he said, no, I'm not ready. <laughs> so wet. We're in the middle of nowhere. There's no dryer. There's barely a fire, you know, and he was just little then. So he goes sloshing over to the wall tent, you know, and peels all of his clothes off. And he spends the day in the wall tent, just dinking around <laughs> camp, playing in the creek, you know, just getting creative and making stuff. He had, he didn't have, there's no phone, no toys, no music. Um, and even now at 18, he says, that's, that's my happy place too, is when I'm just away from all the distractions and stuff. And, um, and I, I think that's unique and different. And so I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, hunting trips are our annual tradition. So he'll keep doing that with us hopefully forever. And, um, and my daughter, now that she's got kids, she's at that younger age where it's hard to afford that kind of thing for herself. But when she comes here, we've got lots of horses and mules, and she can pass that down to um, to her kids so that it doesn't, like Alan said, kind of die with the older generation. Um, because a lot of young kids today, their parents do the side-by-side -side thing, and there's nothing wrong with that. At least they're up in the wilderness and getting out, but um, it, it, it's not like getting out, like we, we get to get out where there's no dust and zooming by and <clears throat> congestion up in some of these roads. Yeah, you just hope that by, you know, introducing it to them at a young age, um, that, I mean, everybody goes through, I mean, you mentioned everybody goes through the same thing. You, you get out of school, you got to work, you don't have much, and hopefully at some point you get successful enough where, you know, you can make that decision if, if you want to go back into into, into the horseback or if it's just backpacking into the backcountry. I mean, but it, it, it was, the seed was planted when they were at that young age and, you know, all three of the kids should have the confidence. I know they have the confidence that if they're like, yeah, let's take a little backpack trip, even if it's just a, you know, five hours up to a lake and spend a couple of days in the back that they can maybe tell some of their friends that never done it. This is easy. You can do it. And, and try to get them introduced into going and doing something like that. But, you know, you, at least you've created the confidence in the young folks that, um, you know, that they will feel like they can go out because if you've never done it and you don't have friends and you're in your thirties, it's hard to know what to probably not, start. Probably not going to do it, you know, because you not even know what to get or where to go or what do you need and any of that kind of stuff. So, it, um, there's Google though. It's not yeah. impossible. <laughs> yeah. a lot of Google. Unfortunately, there's too many distractions on Google probably too. <laughs> but it uh, sounds like Alan, you had friends that helped you get into backpacking when you were younger and Jessica yeah. for you, it was your dad. And then your mom helped 
get you into horses. So you had people that kind of facilitated you guys getting kind of confident and getting out. Oh, absolutely. No, no question about it. And well, it. I read somewhere, it was like when your kids are, I think, around that 11-year-old year, that's when those activities that they do at that age are where they, is the thing that they'll latch onto and, and run with. And thankfully, all three of our kids were at that time doing things that were related to going into the outdoors. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, and that's a good time to do it. I, I, I you know, before Jess and I were married, um, you know, I would take my daughter Taylor and and um, a bunch of the 4-H kids that were in the horse program. In fact, I was the I was the trail leader for the horse program, and you know, so I I take seven, eight, nine, ten, you know, little kids anywhere from nine years old to sixteen years old, and hopefully talk a couple other parents to go with me or whatever, and off we'd go someplace. Usually it's a couple of day trip. It wasn't 10 day trips. That'd probably be a little overwhelming, but um, watching those little kids just absolutely go crazy <laughs> up there in the mountains. I, I remember this, this, was a, this was a good trip because I think we took, I think we had six or seven kids and there was probably three or four adults. And um, we went way back up into the upper St. Joe up near Bacon Lake and there's a big meadow that we camp in and I can remember a bunch of the kids you know I mean you obviously you know how dark it gets when you're in that part of the world you can't see anything and and you know these little kids that you know they're pretty impressionable and we start talking about going snipe hunting <laughs> and you know and we planned for it, so we had some pots and some bags that we brought in the boxes that they didn't know about, and we are telling them how you catch snipe, and, you know, they were not really sure about it, but next thing you know, we had them out in the, out in the woods, out of the meadow, and strung them out, and a couple of adults went out and hid, so as the kids were trying to push the snipes up the hill to catch them, pretty soon some of the parents, and it was so dark you couldn't see anybody, starts throwing rocks into the brush and I mean I can just still remember hearing a couple of the kids oh my god I just heard a snipe over there you know and it, and then you start making some noises and oh I think it might be a bear and then ah! and all these kids just go charging through the woods and tripping and falling over and, and and they come back to camp and they're just like they're just they're having fun but they're terrified they're convinced there was something out there and I know that every one of the kids that was on that trip the day they will die will remember going out and trying to catch snipe and they're always like, Oh my God, Alan, you're such a jerk to teach to convince us this. But um, yeah, I mean, those are just the type of things that without those type of places, it, that will never exist. You got to have those places to take people where you're far enough away where there literally is no influence of outdoor artificial light to, you know, take away from seeing the stars and all that kind of stuff. And I know we heard some wolves howling that trip also, you know, and the kids are like, oh my God, what is that? You know, it's a wolf. Ah, and they huddle around the fire and then pretty soon like, well, that's really pretty cool. And it, um, you need those places. And that, that's, that's, that's what wilderness is all about because it's preserving those places forever. And it, you, you, need, you need to know that those places are there. Even if you don't go to them all, you need to know they're there.
thanks for listening to this episode of Your Wild Place, presented by Friends of Scotchman Peaks Wilderness. For more information about the Friends, visit our website, scotchmanpeaks.org. This episode featured Alan and Jessica Harper, and me, Britta Meyerly. It was edited by Henry Jordan. The Your Wild Place theme music was written and performed by Ben Olson and Katie Archer. Would you like to be featured on Your Wild Place? Let us know by emailing us at info at scotchmanpeaks.org. Never miss an episode by subscribing to Your Wild Place wherever you listen to podcasts.